Hi there, this is Carlos from Fringe Finance. I'm just testing my sound. Can you hear me alright? I'm just noticing that there's literally one person, so can you reply with like an emoji or something? I just started this, so yeah, waiting for a couple more people to join, as well as the speakers for tonight, and we'll get started. Thank you for joining. Hey there, we're just waiting. Hey there, this is Carlos from Fringe. We're just waiting for people to join and we'll get started very soon. To you two people since you're the only that have joined so far uh yeah if, if you want to just like jump in and say hi while we chat feel free to request to speak I never know what to do while I'm waiting for people to join. If I just like start singing or what. Corey, my man, how are you? Can you hear me okay? You're now a speaker. Oh, you're not anymore. You used to be, though. Oh, no, you are. Hey, guys. You hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? How's it going? Yeah, I haven't heard your voice ever. How are you, bro? I'm good. This is Carlos from Fringe, by the way. Yeah, I recognize you. Constantine has a very different accent. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Nice to be on okay, and we, and we have the DeFi Watch account soliciting to speak, so that makes the full panel since Corn couldn't join us in the end. So yeah, it's gonna be us three. But let's test your audio, DeFi Watch. How are you? Um, hi guys, it's Yegor. How's my connection? Do you hear me well? We hear you loud and clear, Yegor. Uh, well, nice to. Nice to hear your voices, guys. Yeah, I have only met you through text before. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Nice. Uh, yeah. So, in the end, uh, neither Korn from Yern, neither Constantine are going to be able to join us, each of them for their own separate reasons. So, yeah, I mean, like, we're recording this, and this is going to be going into our into our social media and all that in the end so why not get started already i just wanted you guys to first of all for like 
people listening that may not know who you are and for those people listening also in YouTube that might not know you uh, to just introduce yourselves and the projects you work at primarily um, yeah just a short sure resume I guess uh, would you like to get started Corey sure so I'm Corey Kaplan I'm one of the two co-founders of Dolomite uh, Dolomite is a decentralized margin trading and lending platform built on Arbitrum for now we uh First got started in the DeFi industry in 2017 before DeFi was coined word. We helped build one of the first DEXs for the Loopring protocol and have had our hands in a, a large number of DeFi projects, just building things aside from Dolomite along the way, uh, mainly from an engineering background. So we helped uh, you know do the actual creation of it. I have a l large background in uh, creating smart contracts and things like that. So yeah, happy to be on with you guys and talk more about some DeFi stuff. Cool, thank you. Um, Igor, would you like to also introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, one more time. Hi, folks. My name is Igor. I'm in charge of product and uh, business development at Defy Watch. Uh, we help crypto users earn more with decentralized finance options. Uh, so we aggregate opportunities from all over the Defy and provide personal portfolio tracking in one place. Uh, so you can find the best, best positions to invest in and monitor your portfolio tracker in one place using our tool. Uh, yeah, here we go. All right. Thank you very much. And yeah, I'm just, um, I, I know I sent you a couple of, uh, of questions ahead of time just to prepare for, for the general topic of this. But um, on a more personal note, and I'm just gonna point to either of you to to, to get started. But like, Igor, how are you feeling about like crypto in the last couple of weeks? Like, how are things from your own and from your project's perspective? I mean, like, I know that right now for us in Fringe, there's this sense of okay, people might start looking more into DeFi now that centralized alternatives are being uncovered as pretty terrible. But yeah, how are you, how are you guys living this so far? Uh, well, unfortunately, we're experiencing now an exodus of users uh, because of Luna and uh, fatigue incidents. A lot of users have left the industry. Some of them probably lost forever. So this wave, of course, affected us as well. Would you, would you say, um, because of course, like you want people to, I, I mean, you're offering a service that in that regard, yeah, that depends on like users sticking around. Would you say there's any hope of also this attracting more people to actual DeFi as opposed to central exchanges? Or are we not in that phase yet, according to your own to your own experience or perception? Um, well, I don't really think so now at the moment. Uh, probably things will change in the future, in the in the nearest future. I, I hope, uh, but yeah, not at the moment. Um, how are you? How, how are you living this on your own, Corey? Yeah, Sorry? from our experience, actually, it's been. We've actually seen a short-term burst of increased user activity, um, usage, and some, I guess our TVLs remain roughly the same. But um, 
with our platform, but I think that's more of a testament to people trying uh, new platforms now and actually moving more to DeFi. I think over the short term, the people that didn't get wiped out, um, that you know didn't have their funds on FTX, are now taking funds they might have had on Coinbase or Binance or other platforms, and they are looking to self-custody them. Uh, I'm close with a couple people at uh, various hardware wallet companies, and they're saying that their sales right now are uh, soaring astronomically from all this that's all this that's going on. So to the extent that we lost some users, I would definitely agree with that. I think that the medium term outlook is pretty tough because the people that are here in the industry and they're sticking by, they're moving more to self-custody and they're taking that extremely seriously. But to the tourists and the outsiders that don't really understand too much what's going on, the burden is going to be on us when they come back to the industry eventually or new people come in to explain to them what happened this past year what the solution is, because of course we all know that DeFi is going to be a better solution for fixing problems like that and educating them and making sure that they don't fall into the same traps that you know happened last time. It's, it's really important that we take that educational piece seriously. We don't get lost in the numbers of the bull market and things like that. And, you know, just uh, speaking to like DeFi itself and why it's been so uh, important for all of this, if you look at actually what happened before FTX declared bankruptcy and Celsius went under and all these other firms, what you notice is any on-chain loans that they had with lending protocols were paid back before any centralized creditors from the court system or otherwise declaring bankruptcy. And that's a really important distinction that uh, DeFi has been able to solve that other platforms in the centralized world have not. Uh, the ability to get your, your money back and paid back immediately or also you will get liquidated is such a powerful thing because look at what's happening today with Mt. Gox, which was how many years ago? People are finally going to start getting some money back from it. And we're talking years after the fact. But uh, if you look at Spell or uh, Aave, other large protocols that had tremendous usage from these uh, you know, large institutions that went under, they paid back, the, the, excuse me, they paid back their loans immediately. And then sure enough, a couple of days later, they had declared uh, their bankruptcies then. So really important distinction between DeFi and CeFi. I think the people on this chat here all know it or else they wouldn't be tuning into us, but it's still a cool point to, to outline. Yeah, I so, mean, go ahead, Igor. Yeah, yeah, I am uh, absolutely agree with Corey that the people left in the industry will be even more active now and you comes too. So we'll need to work with them more and more and more. I wanted to I wanted to ask you, I mean, and this is going way back to the first things you said, but I was actually pretty interested in it. You, you told us that you had experienced an almost immediate burst of new users or, uh, or of new activity. So, I mean, to whatever point you feel comfortable doing so, but would you like to elaborate on that or how, how did that, that look like? Because that's pretty interesting given everything that happened. Yeah, so the same week that FTX had gone under, we had surged by uh, almost doubling our user count, which, mind you, it wasn't a very large number. We went from about maybe 1,000 users or so at the time, or 1,100, close to uh, over 2,200 that week. And uh, I think that there was a lot of activity on top of Arbitrum, which is where our product is currently situated. And those users are pretty hungry, we've seen, to try out products on different uh, you know, different products on the network. So 
we were fortunate to capture some usage from that and uh, get a lot of new uh, community members as well. And it's nice too because our product doesn't really have a lot of features available yet for people to start to consume and take advantage of because our platform is more situated for solving the hedging use case. And as we start to roll out new features for that, I think that we'll be able to get some more sticky usage out of it. But the nice thing is that we're getting more attention um, than, like, than what we had previously had. Yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, you also mentioned something pretty interesting, Igor, and it was like the, the relevance of Terra, because, you know, the crypto ecosystem is very mononeuronal in some ways, where it can only hold one thought at a time. And for a while, that thought is like, okay, every, all, all my portfolio is shit because of Terra, or my investments are doing bad because of Terra. And now that has moved towards SBF, FTX, and any other acronyms that are related that you can think about. Um, do you do you think we are still seeing the ramifications of the whole Terra incident, or, or do you see it more of a series of unfortunate events? Uh, well, I suppose yes. Uh, this like uh, all this stuff uh, is in one cycle now. So our users, for example, uh, as far as we can tell, uh, have become more cautious. Uh, they're choosing more reliable trustworthy position than than ever so yeah i think uh luna luna accidents still affect us and still affect the whole industry yeah uh we have a request to speak and normally i don't just accept them but i'm feeling in the mood to do it today so i'm going to accept you if you want to ask us a question or something please don't insult us because then i have to go and edit the video and that's pretty boring Uh, so, hi, Drag. Do you have a question? Do you have something that you want to share with us? Oh, and also Brian, our CTO is now here. So, Brian, if you want to request to speak, I can jump you to stage while we wait for Drag to say hi. Hey, how's it going? Hey. You normally hey, hey. don't entertain them, but you do for me because I'm awesome. Why, thank you very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, appreciate, I appreciate the profile picture. <laughs> Man, I don't even remember the remember the name of this project. Uh, I've worked with Corey for quite a long time. Um, Corey and I have talked for man, I think years now. Uh, hi, Corey. Yeah, What's it's up? been a while. Yeah, cool I, to have you I'm on with here. I'm with Corey in the sense that you know, as doom and gloom as this may seem right now this might actually be a catalyst for a proper second DeFi summer, in my opinion. You know, not everybody got wiped out. A lot of people still have money. A lot of people were testing the waters. You're seeing new people sort of start to slowly dip their toe in, especially towards the ETH ecosystem and things like that. I think this would be a really great time for Fringe to triple down on marketing, get some TVL, launch the stablecoin, launch staking, and really, really make a proper push for what we're doing and, and a clear, concise case for what we all know that this could be. Yeah, this general sense of doubling down, um, I'm also seeing from my perspective. Yeah, we've been 
looking to raise capital for Dolomite and talking to different investors in various capacities. And it's interesting, the ones that are more crypto aligned that really understand the industry on a deeper level are, you know, it's almost like a silo where I have these conversations with them and they're extremely uh, uh, bullish on DeFi now from all the stuff that's going on and the attention that we're getting as a decentralized exchange and this an overall DeFi platform from what's considered to be smart money is pretty exciting. And uh, I think that overall, maybe the, maybe the, you know, prices are down, the sentiment's a bit in the, in a tough spot right now, but positioning yourself to be able to survive this bear market and thrive potentially right after as the sentiment turns is going to be extremely rewarding, I think for the overall ecosystem. And yeah, yeah it's a, you know, it's a situation of, of how everything is laid out. You survived the bear market to thrive, thrive, excuse me, during the bull. And, you know, the overall way that I look at the scenario is like, no one knows when the bull market's going to come back or when sentiment exactly turns around, but it sort of magically does eventually because all this, this, the crypto market is cyclical. And the best thing that you can just do is position yourself. So when the market does turn around, you look like a genius because all you really did was put the, the, the chess pieces in the right place for when the market turns around. And eventually it does. <laughs> or you just held long enough because you're a hyper artist like we are. <laughs> yeah, what's the saying? That, that, that is a uh, solvent or... Uh, so uh, there's a really funny thing with it. Like you can remain solvent like longer than they can like remain retarded for or something like that. Oh yeah, we yeah. can remain retarded longer than they can remain solvent for. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I, th- I think. Yeah, I know, mean, I think we're. Drug. I think we're amazingly. I agree positioned. with. We. Oh, go ahead. I'm out. Well, th- thank you for for coming on stage, track. Hey, uh, yeah, Brian. If you just want to, yeah, chime in. Go ahead. Um, Please do, please do. Do you think we're headed for another DeFi summer? Is the market is quite depressed uh, for a whole host of reasons, and their macro reasons even out. Uh, am I the only one who's randomly losing Brian's sound? I thought it was just me, but I guess he cut out for both of us. Yeah, the same here, the same here. Yeah, but Brian, we're we're losing you in the middle of your comments, man. We thought you were just being patient, waiting for us to shut up, but yeah, we lost you in the middle of that. And it looks like you're reconnecting right now. So yeah, uh, waiting for Brian to come back in. So Corey, if you want to pick up where you left. Uh, yeah, I mean, overall, I think that there's a, from the right people in the ecosystem, there's a, a proper doubling down happen, so to speak. But uh, that doesn't necessarily translate into an immediate rebound or immediate recovery of not just capital, but also sentiment. I think that there's a very careful repositioning of people's chess pieces and where they mentally mark the importance of various applications in DeFi and in crypto overall. And you know, eventually, I think it'll, it'll get reflected, but I just can't necessarily say when. I don't think I'm in a position to where really anyone is. It's just, you know, you got to shake this stuff off. But by the way, uh, my own personal interest, I'm trying to become good at spotting U.S. accents. So where are you from, Corey? I'm, I'm from New Jersey. Like a okay, I, I, was, I was pretty far off. So yeah, okay, I'm not getting any better at that. Yeah, uh, Brian just messaged me, say <laughs> he's uh, trying to reconnect. We'll give him a minute to do that. Cool, guys. Um, so 
getting back into into our list of questions which we deviated from for a minute there I, I think like a, a big part of this conversation or a big part of what people want to know and I'll start with um, with Egor for this one but of course if anyone wants to chime in just do um, do you think this was actually a bear market I mean a bear market uh, black swan sorry a black swan event or do you think this was somewhat of something that could have been foreseen just because over a long enough timeline it was due to happen and will the crypto ecosystem ever learn from this because well uh, Corey mentioned uh, Mount Gox and it's just mm -hmm. like almost predictable that over a long enough timeline we'll have another one of these cases I mean, I think um, overall Oh, sorry, do you want to go? No, 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 please. Yeah, I think overall, like, you know, FTX going under or three hours capital going under, like, no one could have picked them out in particular and say, like, you know, these are the firms that will go bankrupt during this bear market. But it, it's pretty typical that when prices get depressed from, you know, crypto's very harsh cycles, the highs are high and the lows are low. Um, it was bound to happen that some people were going to be uh, swimming naked and the tide went back in. You know, that, that's a situation that happens time and time again in this industry. And we saw it happen with the 2017 ICOs from people that held on to ETH too long. We saw beforehand when Mt. Gox had blown up, a lot of people had too much exposure to uh, the coins on that exchange. And it, it's just what happens when the prices go. Um, you know, businesses are declined. They maintain too much exposure. They uh, potentially have too much debt. You know, the, the typical uh, process through which like, miners actually will make money during the or maintain themselves during the bear market is they'll try to hold on to as much BTC as possible. And they'll actually borrow against their BTC holdings very responsibly to be able to pay their electrical bills down, maintain their salaries. And then during the bull market, they're shedding that leverage off when the prices come back so they can essentially take the profits that they didn't want to take earlier because the price was depressed. And what we saw instead was uh, a lot of players upping their leverage instead when prices were high, instead of doing what the responsible thing would have done of trying to shed it off. And because of that, they got caught with their pants down. And it, it's a story as old as time. We saw this happen with 2008. And it's just a cyclical thing with human nature that, you know, some people take the wrong debt. And I like I said before, I don't think it was a testament to us picking out the three hours capital or FTX in this situation. But they are most certainly connected because a lot of them had invested in very correlated plays, whether it was Terra Luna in this, in this situation that blew up and then had connected capital elsewhere that, they have, they get margin, or, excuse me margin called on, but there's a pretty clear path as to how we got ourselves to this situation, and all it really took was one domino piece to fall, and the rest was going to fall after it. Cool, Brian. Do you want to test your microphone at this point? See if we can get get to you. Okay. Uh, Regarding the opportunity okay. or possibility with the DeFi ecosystem. Yeah, you never you never know when you're gonna get Brian's sound. It, it just comes randomly. Yeah. <laughs> so please go ahead, Igor. Um, well, back to the question. I guess the paradox of the black swan is that no one can injure that. No one can predict that. So. DeFi has had some security problems so far. We periodically see news like 
project experience if the data leak uh, x million of uh, users money was lost so it doesn't play into uh, into industry's uh, hands but it seems to me that the regulation was uh, unavoidable in any case so such incident just accelerate the process just push it in and uh, bring attention to it I mean, every economic or historic market crisis in history led to regulation of uh, one process or another anyway. Now, blockchain industry has its has its place in the uh, history, uh, I suppose. Yeah, it's important to mention that like Dodd-Frank, which was, you know, in large part created after the 2008 financial crisis, um, huge piece of regulation. And we're actually dealing with it in the crypto industry. Uh, from what I understand, a lot of the reasons like why Perpetual's projects that we see out there aren't accessible within the U.S. are largely because of that. And there's going to be potential ramifications from this after. My hope is that they get the regulation right and they're predominantly going after centralized actors because this was a very large irresponsibility of you know larger centralized players. But there's always a possibility of them misfiring and putting their sights on DeFi too much. And our hope is that there's a proper lobbyists and educators out there that will take the right responsibility and ensure that they learn. Yeah, that's true. Just agree. I want to actually hammer on on one point, and that is like you say that no one could have predicted that FTX and Tree Euros Capital would be the firms that would go bust. And yeah, of course, we you never know who's going to be the one secretly, I mean, like you said, ending up caught with their pants down. But you can say that that's due to happen eventually, right? Uh, to someone. So do you think this could have been prevented in, in some way? Or would you say like, we're all basically playing Russian roulette here? Uh, yeah, kind of, because when the stakes are up and everyone is making money, no one thinks about safety, right? Yeah, I mean, even aside from that, like, this finance itself is, you know, it's similar to, like, physics when it comes to how energy is uh, works. Like, you know, energy can never be created or destroyed. It's always transferred. You know, wealth is never created or destroyed. It's usually transferred. And we see a lot of people that are the counterparties for these trades at the top. You know, for someone to sell... That means that someone has to buy or vice versa. So I mean, people are going to always win or lose, but we can just try our best to make sure that things are done as safely as possible. So that when people lose, it's not as bad as losing everything. And when people win, therefore, it's not from people doing excessively greedy or fraudulent things as well. And what we saw from the 2021 bull market, now that we have 2020 hindsight on it, was people doing potentially fraudulent things to push prices up or squeeze every dollar out of the situation. And then here we are now where the losers are losing way more than they should have been. I'm curious here. And also, like, I don't know your background, Drag, but since you're a speaker on these spaces, um, this goes for all three of you. Um, What do you think it takes not to be a loser in this kind of market? Because, like, the obvious answer to some community members would be just hold. But like, I don't think that actually plays out for literally everyone in every context. Everything is very situational. 
and depending on people's yeah context. So what would you say it takes not to be a loser at a time like this, or, or just like you put it before to put your pieces correctly in the in the chessboard? But I think overall, like people approach the market as like a, I'm just gonna hold here, and then like community members get in other people's heads of like when the right price would be to sell or things like that. I think that people need to look at their own situations of when they potentially enter the market, what state they think it might be in, and essentially establish rules for themselves. That rule could be, you know, if my portfolio reaches a certain point, I sell, or if the price of a certain token reaches a certain price, I sell here. And as long as you have rules that you yourself are following that makes you disciplined and therefore that's the difference between in my opinion gambling versus being a good investor or being a trader in that case i think that you put yourself in a position where you really can't lose in the sense that at least you had rules so maybe like you know you wanted to sell a token at 50 cents that only went to 40 and you didn't sell them like you didn't lose you had a plan and your plan just didn't work out i see that as differently than you know being excessively greedy and constantly moving your goalposts around and then getting caught in a situation where like you're putting too much exposure on the line and you lose it. That's, that's different in my mind. I, I think the people that are a bit comfier right now are the ones that, you know, establish those rules for themselves and remain disciplined and was otherwise a really difficult time to know when to pull out or when to, to do anything. Like the, it was just the people that said like, okay, ETH went to 2,500. Like that's my mark. I'm going to sell it here. And they watched it go to 4,000 and almost 5,000 and, Just sat there on the sidelines and said, like, look, that was my rule. Sorry, I'm not jumping back in right now. I'm going to wait for it to come back down, hopefully. And if it doesn't, I still sold at a profit. No one ever, no one ever complains for, about selling at a profit, by the way. Just usually when the price goes down below their entry. <laughs> but uh, also not financial advice from all this stuff. But that's just the way I look at the market personally. Yeah, and uh, I think 50XKs show that the best strategy is not to put all your eggs in one basket. So this is advice at any stage of the market, not just now. The main thing is not to let greed take over your brain and just try just try to look at things coldly. There are still a lot of good options in uh, the DeFi market right now. Probably now it is the best time to buy new assets because everything uh, is going cheaper. Uh, but anyway, you you shouldn't trust experts on Twitter. Uh, yeah, and uh, always just do your own research. Yeah, I also think, I mean, I personally also worry about the um, how big the big players can get because we know that FTX was second, second to Binance is number one. And I mean, if capitalism or if history has taught us anything, it's that the number one spot doesn't grow at a at a linear rate it's often exponential and once you capture 60% 70% etc you start you start growing a lot faster um, and you start just occupying larger and larger chunks of the total markets um, I have heard very little about this, but do you guys think that people should be worried about Binance's upcoming prominence in the space? Uh, I mean, myself, I think that uh, you know, to the extent that you might be worried about a certain player, 
you know, people need to realize that they don't necessarily vote all, all the time with just, you know, voting by itself of like, there's a governance proposal up or CZ puts a poll up on Twitter. No, you, you usually vote with where you allocate your capital. And if you're worried about Binance rising to too much prominence and having too much power, the way that you should alleviate that is by moving your capital elsewhere. Now, don't store your capital on Binance. Store it somewhere else. Put it on Coinbase. Put it on a, on a ledger then. And the way that you keep these balance, balance of powers in check and make sure that they don't grow too large is where you allocate your capital. So, I mean, myself personally, you know, I am a bit worried about it because they have grown so large. They've proven so far to be a reliable actor and that they are in a situation yet, at least, where they've gone under. But we also don't necessarily have that transparency into them. I'd rather see a DeFi protocol, of course, grow to be the, the size of Binance because at least we can monitor their reserves and make sure that things are uh, operating above board with them you know, through transparency, through smart contracts, through real-time insights into what's going on. But um, with a platform like Binance, I don't feel necessarily so trustworthy of it, which is why that's not where I custody my assets there. You know, And there's other uh, CEOs of centralized exchanges that have felt similarly. Like we've seen Brian Armstrong come out from Coinbase and Jesse Powell, the uh, previous CEO of Kraken, come out as well saying, you know, you should probably not store your entire crypto net worth on our exchanges. They just don't think it makes sense to. And if these major CEOs are saying that, you know, there's no reason why you should be doing that elsewhere as well. And that's part of the reason why they have so much power. It's their AUM and their TVL. As to me, uh, and by the way, I read Black Swan not too long ago. And uh, the point is that um, it's necessary to prepare not for what has already happened, but for what no one prepares for right now. So I don't really think that we need to uh, worry too much about Binance falling tomorrow or Ava going bankrupt or something. We just need to diversify your risk no matter what instruments you use. This is my point. Yeah, and, and I see that being very important because, like, I, I mean, people call FTX a black swan event. Um, by the, the by, the very definition of the term, it is not because it is something that has happened before. Even though it was unexpected, like you said, Mount Gox or other exchanges, they have gone broke before, and it was only due time for something like that to happen. Same for. Well, the other example we've been talking about, Terra, they went completely bust, took a lot of money basically to zero, or like Corey would say, they transferred it elsewhere, I guess. And that had also happened before. Algorithmic stable coins had failed before. So I think you're spot on on the fact people need to understand or assess the risk situation by situation rather than just thinking okay because exchange an exchange has failed somewhere i need to start preparing myself to see exchanges fail oh because uh stablecoin fail i need to start preparing myself for stablecoins whereas in reality you would just take it case by case and try to understand the risk behind everything that you do yeah you're absolutely yeah. right and the part of the shame is which i mentioned earlier on the on the call is just we're in a situation where there's going to be a lot of people that are already in crypto and saw this happen in various capacities, maybe understood it, maybe they didn't, but they'll at least have some recollection of it. There's going to be a lot of newcomers to the next wave of crypto, and it's going to be our responsibility and others in the industry that 
are running projects to make sure that these new users are educated. And because to them, if another stable coin collapses, it won't be a black swan to us, but it's going to feel like a black swan to them because they never experienced it or saw it happen before. Right, and that's also on point, that you never... I mean, for me personally, that I have been in crypto long enough, for the better or worse, to know that exchanges do blow up, it was not a full surprise and wasn't even that hurt at all by FTX. And it was almost like a fun, if you want to excuse the term, but it was almost a fun thing to watch unfold because it was so messy and so full of dirty details and all that. But like, you think of the actual people trapped in the situation and yeah, you just can feel, help but feel bad for them because they learned the lesson of not your keys, not your coins in the worst possible way. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask you both a very open question, just because I'm curious how you would address it. How early would you say crypto still is? Like, given all of this, do you think all of this has put a ceiling into our growth or that it has fragmented us even more into, into a niche? I'll start with Igor since Corey has started most of the answers so far. Um, when, uh, you know, uh, I just get back from Istanbul Blockchain Week shortly uh, and um, had the honor of, taking, uh, of talking to the founder of uh, DYDX in Istanbul and uh, he had a fantastic talk on this subject. Well, he, uh, he believes that uh, DeFi and, and crypto in general is still only in uh, its infancy. So it has a long way uh, to go to build trust with the audience, including the crypto audience um, and start solving users daily problems effectively. So yeah, me personally, I think that we're in the, in the beginning of this way uh maybe not in the first not in the first uh, floor but maybe on the on the second something like it yeah i'm i'm inclined to agree i mean defi blowing up to not blowing up in a negative way but uh growing to have almost 200 billion dollars in total tvl at the peak of the last bull market that's not a small amount uh but it's certainly not a large one either so i i don't think that we're in the earliest beginnings of things or also not towards the end in my opinion And overall, I'd feel a lot more negative or less excited about the industry if these more systemic problems that we saw happened in the DeFi world. Uh, in comparison, I think DeFi has shown tremendous resiliency, or at least to more of the battle-tested larger applications that have been around for a while. And uh, for me, like that has me extremely bullish because they're doing what they're supposed to, and it's fulfilling the vision that I had for this industry, having been in it for so long now. So like that's exciting. Um, And also just going back to your earlier point, Carlos, like talking about like FTX blowing up and, you know, watching from the sidelines with a bit of interest and amusement. For me, I felt similarly actually watching Terra Luna blow up because that was more of a DeFi oriented protocol. Um, for people that had done more sound research into it that uh, like really looked into the project, they would realize that it was more of a Ponzi scheme in terms of how it paid out its yield and realize that this was a potentially really bad attack vector for it to, to crumble under. So for me to watch that entire situation unravel was like watching all the economics classes that I took in college unravel in real time, which was so wild to see. And watching the price of UST fly around like it wasn't a stable coin 
then watching the price of Luna itself plummet in order to make sure that um, they could offer those redemptions from UST back to a dollar worth of Luna. So fascinating to watch. Uh, unfortunately, it, it was you know my fascination of me learning came at the expense of other people's capital and money. So I feel awful, awful saying it that way. But from a you know life lesson, just to watch this sort of thing happen in real time, it's not like some stories like you see in the storybooks where you see like a country crum- crumble like that, or you hear a story from some from some crypto veteran. And you're like, okay, cool, boomer. Like, I, I really don't resonate with what you're saying. This was like, a real, and it felt we felt it. Every single person in this industry was watching this happen. And there's like, I was telling this to a friend the other day. Um, well, got closer to when that happened, but anyways, you hear, ever heard that story about like how the, I'm just gonna butcher everything here, but like, I reckon the. Prime Minister or whatever it was of China, Mao, uh, he wanted to combat um, plagues that were ruining all the crops. So he decided to set up a campaign to kill off crows because they were eating the crops apparently. But then what happened? It was like the, the crows would eat the plagues. I mean, the worms, I think, that were eating the crops. Yes, I'm butchering this completely. But anyways, it was like watching one of those old stories, like you said, from history books unfold, but it also unfolding incredibly fast and in the open with like a perfect track record of every single up and down in real time. Yeah, I mean, like like you said, it's horrible to feel fascinated by that because it's people's livelihood, but it's completely fascinating. It's almost like when you're like, I don't know, like 15 and in algebra class and want to check out if an equation works out by just introducing random numbers into it. It pretty much worked like that. Like we got to see the math play out at extreme level. Uh, and that's yeah. pretty cool about these projects because they're largely experiments, economic experiments. Yeah. I mean, looking at Tara Luna as the example, we saw like, it worked exactly as it, as it was supposed to. It was true to DeFi in that way. Um, you know, they infinitely minted yeah. Luna tokens essentially to cover the shortfall, which, you know, eventually couldn't cover itself and the price rapidly declining too quickly. So it worked exactly how it was supposed to. And to some people that thought DeFi was a failure because of it, in particular more of like the regulators and people looking from the outside in, there was no surprises in how Terra Luna worked. I think people, for some reason, thought an algo under-collateralized stablecoin could function. But the fact of the matter was, if you look closely at the scenario, there were a lot of investors in Luna, uh, like early VCs, pre-seeds, things like that, that owned a lot of the tokens. And for them, it was a really easy way to exit their positions without crashing the Luna market by just minting UST against their tokens. And because of that, it was a really easy way for them to get essentially zero slippage on the way out the door. And that already had started a cascade of sorts behind the scenes to you know, partition the liquidity and take enough out of the system where a true bank run could happen. And you know, had that not happened, I think that the situation could have played out a bit differently. But once again, the way that the system was designed, this was bound to happen eventually. It's uh, just extremely interesting just to watch it unravel the way that it did and know that it, it, actually, it actually functioned into the way that it was supposed to. The block explorer still worked how it's supposed to. You could actually track the positions and the minting of new Luna tokens extremely easily. 
Yeah, exactly because like like you said, the math worked perfectly and it worked from the very first minute until the last. What the whole equation didn't account for was the psychological component of people just wanting out as soon as possible and rushing through the door and stomping on one another. So th that's also a lesson that even if you have programmatical stuff that should work, you cannot simply just assume that all human beings are economic perfect sense. Yeah, they, they don't make economic perfect sense at all points in time. We're irrational in the end of the day. And yeah, one of you said that like the market can stay retarded for as long as you can stay solvent or longer. Yeah, nice. maybe um, uh, something ahead, that may maybe uh, may seem obvious to us uh, is not so obvious for uh, many of people. So, yeah, we should remember it. We just should remember it. But anyway, why TVL grew actively, but compared to the global economy, the banking industry, we still have a lot of space to grow now. So, yeah. Uh, I think we cut you off and you wanted to say something, Corey? Oh, uh, no, 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 I'm, I'm okay. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've been for 40 minutes or so on this one, so I think it's good to to start wrapping up. I mean, thank, thank you very much for coming and just having this chat. I hope it has helped some people, like, figure out some stuff in their heads about what's going on and... The last point that I wanted to kind of touch on is that we have seen everything that went on and we have seen that all of it was caused not by DeFi, not by crypto, but by financial institutions basically taking advantage of crypto or using crypto as a vehicle to carry on well, borderline or not even borderline illegal activities. So what would your advice be, guys, for people that want to to get on board into the actual DeFi ecosystem and surpass the C-DeFi or C-Fi part of this whole scheme? And if you want to, to start there, Igor? Uh, yeah, I think uh, the DeFi community so far is just a small part of the whole blockchain industry. Uh, very often I come across experienced crypto users who have no idea what DeFi is. Uh, so the main challenge for DeFi, uh, as it seems to me, of course, uh, is to make a simple and understandable interface for users. Uh, it seems that classic fintech startups, neobanks, uh, etc., have uh, have come a long way in this direction. DeFi seems to me to be lagging behind so far. Yeah, but uh, maybe before that, the blockchain industry was the industry of greed. Uh, and I believe there is only one way to rebuild this trust. Uh, it's just to prove that projects are not only about making the founders richer, but also about the real problems of user. Um, so yeah, now the market will be free of unnecessary, let's say, projects. 
uh, and it's up to us to build products for people to solve their problems and to and to prove the sustainability of us as an industry and a new part of uh, global economy. Yeah, I think that's well said. Um, overall, I think I agree with a lot of the things that you know you said before, and would just also say that you know DeFi is a bit tougher to to build for for the masses because of the you know inherent complexities of self custody, people having to use their own wallet, explaining how gas works and other things. But I also think that we've come a long way. We've seen a lot of uh, users on OpenSea and people learn how to self custody their assets using wallets like MetaMask, Harbor wallets, etc. I think that if we continue down this path, things will get better. They will iterate. People are, I should also add, smart people are working on solving these problems. And it takes time. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. This entire new financial landscape won't be built in a day. But, um, you know, overall, I think I'm pretty happy with how the industry is progressing. And it'll take time. But I think we'll get there. Yeah, it maybe now it's not a good time for, uh, for startups and projects. Because as I, as I mentioned, I, I returned back from uh, I returned from Istanbul Blockchain Week, uh, and uh, a lot of a lot of VCs uh, said something like they're cautious in their choice of new projects, and right now the market valuations of startups are down uh, sixty or even eighty percent, and the amount of money for marketing and for project is going down as well, so uh, no one can predict when uh, the current cycle will end. Um, I heard an assumption that we have to keep building over the next 20 or even 24 months, but uh, we just should keep building, I think. Yeah, and two, two things to address what you guys said. The first one being that, yes, you're very right that UX and UIs of crypto still have a lot of way to go. And we should be excited about that. When I was in DEFCON in Bogota, I had a chance to attend a workshop by the head of UX writing by MetaMask. And he was just basically like ranting for an hour about how most of the terms and the words and the ways we explain things in crypto, they suck. And it actually made me very hopeful, <laughs> hopeful to, yeah, well, because they do. Like, you hear the word trustless. What do you think? I cannot trust this. And, yeah, yeah, and, that's true. That's true. Yeah, there's a lot of examples like that of just like stuff that we say that we think is actually straightforward, but it's not. Smart contract. It's neither smart nor a contract. <laughs> Go figure what that, what that means and so on and so forth. Um, and, and this guy was just basically ranting about that. And he kind of let us see some of the ways that they're trying to to work to introduce that in their UX in MetaMask. And it just made me very hopeful because if someone's going to be leading this side of the effort, it's going to be someone like them that's pretty much an undisputed number one in the industry and for a good reason. Uh, another point that I wanted to make was that you were both right in saying that we're very early, but like even more so, you, people see that DeFi protocols or DeFi apps or whatever, they have hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter, on their Telegram or whatever. But like 
followers do not, does not necessarily mean users. And we've discovered this at, at Fringe that you think that because you get a certain number of followers, you can extrapolate that to how many users you can have. And in reality, that doesn't end up playing out. So I would say that the pool of actual DeFi users is still pretty small. And if you are looking to to participate in the DeFi ecosystem, you're actually you might actually be earlier than you think because it's not the same thing as being part of the crypto ecosystem. You'd be way earlier and way ahead of the curve than than you might think. Would you guys? I don't know. Would you guys agree on that point? On that last point from your personal experiences? I apologize. I have to actually run right now, but. Um... Yeah, won't be able to answer that right now. I'll pop into the chat later, and maybe we can talk some more. But uh, appreciate you having me on, though, and we'll talk more later. Thank oh yeah, you. totally. Thank you very much for for joining, Corey. And yeah, we can start wrapping up after this. Okay, cheers and thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Corey. Okay, do you want to answer that last one and uh, and just get going, uh, Igor? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Um... Well, back to uh, back to uh, UX interfaces and so on. Uh, well, uh, I talked about uh, about this uh, with DYDX founder, and he just said that it's hard to make one simple interface for Asia, America, Europe yet. So now all eyes are on the user experience uh, in DeFi and crypto. Uh, and uh, back to your last point, I think we should. Uh, we shouldn't forget about uh, the reason and the and the aim of uh, DeFi. DeFi was created to uh, to open access to financial uh, instruments uh, to people who don't have uh, who don't have them yet. Uh, so I think this is the main reason and the main uh, global aim of DeFi. So we should help people solve. Um, their financial problems in there and we should uh, we should we should give them uh, this experience instead of uh, centralized banking or let's say classic bank so this we we should uh, think about it every single day and uh, this is our task let's say yeah totally couldn't agree more so yeah i think this is a great place to to wrap this up man would you like to to shield anything or tell people to check out anything after i mean yeah before wrapping up uh, uh no seems that i uh, don't have anything to uh to say uh anymore so it's okay well five, thank you very much five. for joining it was uh, 5:50 a.m. in my time zone, so guys, uh, sorry for my uh, for my uh, long responses. Uh, it's so uh, it's early in the morning right now for me. <laughs> oh yeah, like I, I wouldn't have accepted to do something this early, so like I didn't know this, <laughs> but props to you for doing so. You're a, yeah. you're a legend, sir. Thank you very much yeah. for joining, and well, cheers to everyone listening to this uh, on the spaces or on YouTube when we upload this. Thank you very much, Igor. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, guys. Uh, see you around. Bye-bye. Catch you later. Bye.